0: Rethink Retail, the evolution of retail in today's connected world. Welcome to the Rethink Retail Show, your source for the most recent trends and innovations in commerce. Join host Julia Raymond, Global Director of Research at Valtech, a global digital agency focused on strategy and transformation in retail, as she explores the most recent trends and innovations in commerce. This episode of Rethink Retail sponsored by Valtech, where experiences are engineered. Hi, everyone. Today's episode of Rethink Retail features my guest, Brock Weatherup. Brock Weatherup is a founder, mentor, C-suite executive, and passionate leader of high-growth consumer businesses. He is currently the CEO and co-founder of Metamorphosis Partners, a company focused on creating extraordinary value for the consumer and the pet industry through innovation. He was most recently EVP and Chief Innovation Officer in Digital Experience at Petco. Previously, he was CEO and co-founder of Pet Coach, which was later acquired by Petco. Brock, thanks for joining me today.
1: Excited to be here.
0: Excited to have you. I wanted to know if you could kick us off by telling us a little bit about your background, really exciting stuff that um, your company was acquired by Petco, and then you actually went on to be their chief innovation officer, and what you're doing today with Metamorphosis Partners.
1: I've been really excited to be involved in the pet industry for the last almost uh, 11 years. My background has been entirely focused on how do you sell a product or service to a consumer. I love the dynamics of that interaction, the ability to test, trial, figure out, and use digital tools to figure out what consumers love has been just a passion of mine since... uh, Well, I guess since as long as I've been uh, in the working world. So spent a bit of time building a business that was called Fathead that was in the sports arena and built a business called Reserve America that was in the outdoor recreation space. And if you tie those all together, they're basically the things that I love in my life. So my best day would be going for a long hike with my dog and then sitting at home at the end of the day watching a football game. So that would be my perfect day. And so I've been l- lucky enough to make my career about it.
0: Certainly, and I was going to ask you if you had a pet because that you must, right, being in the, the industry. I think I even saw on your LinkedIn, you have... Um uh, English retriever, English retriever. Yes.
1: Whose name is Boulder named after my alma mater, university of Colorado at Boulder. So he represents pretty well.
0: That's great. And probably the perfect family dog, right? He's
1: an awesome dog with one very unique quirk about him, which is he is terrified of water, including the water that's inside the water bowl.
0: <laughs> what? No,
1: it's not the typical retriever that's scared of water.
0: Oh, that's too funny. Oh my gosh, his own water in his in his bowl. That's hilarious. Yeah,
1: there's a really classic picture that I use all the time that has me carrying him across a stream on a trail in upstate New York. <laughs> oh, by the way, my feet aren't getting wet because it's that small of a stream, but he wouldn't cross it.
0: Wow, that's too funny. And then also, I love that you brought up Fathead because that is such a well-known brand And I'd love if you could just talk a little bit about what was that like?
1: Well, it's fun to build. In that case, the great thing was we got to build our brand, Fathead, on the back of what are incredible brands like the NFL and NBA and MLB and all the players that were around it. And so it was a very fun exercise And how do you build a great brand and how do you activate consumers by being very focused on who they are and what's... Always been a fundamental background for me is around how do you use content and personalization to drive sales. So, in the case of a fathead, it was very much like, you know, the easiest way to sell a Dallas Cowboys fan on buying a fathead was by telling them how New York Giants fans were better than they were because they had fatheads <laughs> in their man cave. And pressing on that is a really big part of it. And frankly, that whole concept of activating through Content and personalization has been the key driver of what drove my entry into the pet industry with a company called Pet360. It's also then what drove Pet Coach. It was what at the core of everything I did at PetCo and then is at the center of what I'm building right now in Metamorphosis Partners, where we're doing the exact same thing of how do you build content, digital content, that's education, engaging and action-oriented all with the ability to then take action on that and do something about it and then buy products or engage with services that kind of solve that. And so that's been at the core of basically everything I've done in my whole career. And um, at the end of the day, it's worked out.
0: I I would say so. You had a lot of success with Fathead and then moving on just all the companies that you've built and actually what you're doing today because the pet industry is being disrupted by a lot of players. And it's seen tremendous growth. I was looking at a few reports, and the global pet care market is expected to nearly double between now and 2025, I believe, from 90 billion last year to over 200 billion. So there's a lot of growth, and some have even said that it's in some ways recession proof. And I was wondering, do you agree? And what do you think are some of these cultural factors driving this growth in your industry?
1: Actually, I've not seen the number that said it's going to grow or double, I should say, in the next five years. It is very consistently grown every year, typically in the kind of low to mid single digits. I think the fact of the matter is that, you know, animals are great companions for people and they bring joy, happiness, and love. And so whether that's a cat curling up on your lap or being able to go on a hike with your dog, I think they bring incredible joy to our lives. And I think a lot of cultural elements of it are that people are looking for that. The other really big factor around the cultural dynamic is around millennials. The millennial consumer who today is the largest pet owning group in the industry, it used to be Mm -hmm. kind of the boomer, kind of empty nester group was that largest group. They're no longer that. The boomer kind of empty nest group is the largest spender today, but they're not the largest number of pets. So the largest number of pets is in the millennial group. And there's a couple things that are pretty fascinating to me around that. One is a lot of people are having pets come into their lives as in essence, their first serious relationship. (laughs) And then a lot of times then what happens is they maybe enter into a spousal relationship with somebody. They get pets to kind of test out being parents um, (laughs) before they have kids, right? And what used to be a fairly consistent, say, you'd very stereotypical down the middle was, okay, graduated, you then met someone, you got married, you then had kids, and then you had a pet because Mm -hmm. kids were demanding the pet. And that whole dynamic is actually flipped a bit on its head with the millennial generation. And then underneath that also is just their – digitally native, right? They've grown up with technology. And so their expectations about what they want to do, how they want to do it, how they want to engage, how they want to interact with brands, all that sort of stuff that's broader in the, in the broader economy of what their impact is, is having a dramatic impact on the pet industry. And I think it's only going to be that much more dramatic over the next four to five years, because that consumer group is starting to come into a lot more economic power because they're getting later in their careers, they're earning more money, and thus they're spending more. And a lot of it goes towards their pets.
0: Totally. I see that in my own personal life among my friends, so I could definitely agree with that. But you're saying that, you know, the boomers are still the largest spending group, although the market is larger for millennials because they own the most pets, especially dogs. So within five years, as millennials get more economically stable and grow in their careers, they'll probably overtake that portion of the market. Definitively. I saw another stat and I don't know if you've heard this one, but it was, you know, nearly one in five retail sales, at least in the U.S. for pet products last year, were made online. And I would say, I don't know if you agree, but I would say that that's a huge difference than 10 years ago. The pet product market maybe was a bit slower than other retail segments to come online. What's going on in your world right now? What kind of digital disruption are you seeing?
1: Well, I think the consumer, again, and a lot of this goes to that millennial group, and a lot of it's just the macro Amazon factor for almost Mm. everything. The pet industry is historically a slow to follow human trends. So it's always been what used to be in the call five to 10 years behind human trends, and now it's a bit more in the shorter cycle most of that has to do with just technology in a couple of years and so the obviously chewy is the biggest story because of the volume of money that they've spent in marketing and how aggressive they got over the last many years and how they spent so much money on communicating to the consumer that you could buy pet food online and added to then the generic growth of Amazon and then probably the biggest factor that I think is having the largest impact over the next several years is actually the power of Walmart and walmart.com, especially because of their buy online and pick up in store growth. Mm -hmm. Because again, the big thing in the pet industry is you've got a 30 pound bag of dog food, or you've got a 20 pound bag of clay litter right? Those things are difficult to make money through the mail system. And with somebody like Walmart being able to share those products and and be able to sell those products and have you come and pick them up, it's highly valuable and they can be, frankly, far more price competitive. So I expect Walmart to change their position and kind of how much of the pet market they're doing over the next
0: uh, little while. Sure. It doesn't seem very economical, especially because of the sheer size of pet food, um, to have that on shipments, big shipments and trucks and everything. Do you think Amazon is really a huge threat in the future considering Walmart's BOPIS program and then also the fact that there's some distrust when it comes to ordering pet food products online from Amazon?
1: I'm not sure I share the perspective of the distrust of ordering the products on Amazon. I think, you know, there's always the factor of are you buying things from third-party sellers, but when you're buying... Merrick dog food or Blue Buffalo dog food or origin, or you're getting your, uh, you know, frontline plain tick medicine, like it's coming from a great spot. And I think they're continuing to sell out. I think the biggest thing that Amazon is doing that I think will always continue to drive their growth and is what's creating the biggest disruption is because they are selling so many things to you, their ability to, visit your house at least once a week. I know their stated goal is to visit your house once a day. But (laughs) the reality is they're visiting many, many, many households once a week. And that once a week is plenty of time to kind of add all of the incremental products that you have with it as they get a little bit stronger and start to figure out how does Amazon leverage their Whole Foods acquisition and how do they get further into the kind of they're defining is their Amazon fresh and those sorts of things. They've just got so much scale that their economic capability to bring anything to your house with some level of economy is, is better than anybody else. Walmart, on the other hand, right, has a great perspective because people are driving to their store to pick up that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and so in essence, the consumer is paying for their own delivery by doing it themselves. And so that's a cost structure that Walmart then can compete more with much greater advantage on some of the pricing elements over time. But at the end of the day, those two are kind of neck and neck on kind of driving the whole industry, in my opinion.
0: Sure. And it makes sense because sometimes pet food is a time-sensitive purchase because you ran out of food and maybe you're not already on a subscription model like Chewy or through any of the other providers. So you do run to PetSmart or other stores to grab the bag of food do you see a future where everyone is pretty much on a subscription model for pet food?
1: Everyone is always, you know, difficult, but I think that that is definitively the driver in the whole pet industry. And so, whether you're Petco and being, you know, very successful with their buy online, pick up in store, and their subscription business, or your Chewy or your Amazon with their subscribe and save, the whole industry of consumers getting more and more comfortable with monthly delivery, monthly subscriptions. I think it's just becoming a much stronger element to it. And there's no better product, in my opinion, that is better suited to that than people's pet food or litter because Mm -hmm. people don't switch those. And once I know that I'm feeding Origin Red to Boulder, that product can show up every month. It's not hard to be kind of, okay, is it, do I really need a bag every 30 days or is it every 35 days? But kind of who cares? The difference at the end of the day isn't really a whole lot. And it's easy because I'm not going into a store or going onto Amazon or Chewy and making the decision should I switch from work no. to something else? I just I just want to buy it. Like and I want it to arrive. And I'm not like I might be excited about wanting to figure out what's the toy I want to get for him or what's the thing that I wanna kinda add to it, but I'm not switching my food and doing it typically online and so it's a perfect model for subscription
0: mm-hmm. that's a really great point about people not switching and how that is a perfect setup for a subscription model and i wanted to ask you about pet Coach because you were the brains behind this app and petco acquired it and i just want to know um i i heard it was a subscription model for vet care so how does it work and um you know, how did you come up with the idea?
1: So there's kind of two different aspects of it. So Pet Coach was basically a telemedicine kind of Q&A platform for consumers. And it was a product that was originally built by a guy by the name of David Martin and his partner, uh, Alvaro Menez. And they started it and then I got involved with it and we helped kind of take it to the next level. But the Pet Coach platform itself, I got really excited about it because my sister happens to be a veterinarian. And oh, great. Okay. I had gone hiking. I was in upstate New York where my family was and I came back and my dog around lunch came back and all of a sudden he had like one of his legs was like covered in blood and I've been around the pet industry. so I'm dangerously knowledgeable about pet care, but the place where we were is about an hour to the nearest veterinarian. It's way in the woods. And so like, I kind of looked at it, and I kind of washed it off and I saw that it looked like he was probably running through the woods and a stick scraped it or something like that, but it split open his skin. And so I was like, okay, well, I turned around, I snapped a couple of pictures of it, texted it to my sister and she kind of looked at it. She's a small animal specialty emergency room surgeon for pets. And so she looked at it and she's like, well, it's not that big of a deal. She's like, do this, this, and this, wrap it up. And then this evening, take it off, send me another picture, do this and this, You know, do that. And then in the morning, do this and then we'll see where we are. And fact of the matter was by the next morning, it, was basically on his way to healing and in 48 hours, he was back to kind of full tilt on everything else. And I was like, okay, like, you know, most people don't have a sister that they could call and do that. And I was like, well, how could you translate this? Cause in that case, like it saved me many hours and what was probably hundreds of dollars of going in, getting stitches, then having to get the stitches removed and all that sort of stuff. And it's not that you should use telemedicine for everything. And so there are some dangers to that for sure, because there is something really important for people to see what's going on and touch and feel the animal for, to figure out what really is happening. Mm -hmm. But it also made me realize like, there's a whole lot of things that could be technically delivered to the consumer that way. And hence my excitement about what have been started with the pet coach team and how do we really kind of make that something a whole lot bigger And so that's where we turned into it. The big learning that we had out of it, it was the actual telemedicine side of it was less than we expected, meaning people wanting to call and talk or video conference around a subject. Most of it was more kind of like longer term or issues that had been going on for longer. You know, my dog's been scratching a lot.
0: Mm, for Allergies, yeah.
1: My cat was peeing in the litter box but now isn't and that's really unusual Is that for the last like three days like what I, versus like my dog's bleeding and on the floor? Well okay, get off your computer and take them to the emergency room right mm-hmm. um, The text-based sort of thing where we connected people with veterinarians to answer those questions and do that kind of back and forth or, which were less urgent was actually really positive And we got, you know, an enormous amount of customer engagement with it. And it was something that ended up being very successful.
0: That's excellent. And it's also something because you mentioned earlier, that the pet market is five to 10 years behind human trends. But I would argue with this, it was either right on track, if not ahead of times, because teledoctors uh, for humans are something that's not as widely used just yet. Yeah.
1: The one thing I will say is that the legal elements of telemedicine for pets is unbelievably way behind human telemedicine on that
0: front. (laughs) Right. Lower barriers
1: to entry. (laughs) There's this whole thing called VCPR, which is vet client patient relationship. And if you don't touch an animal, like a lot of the States are all very different, but the majority of it is if you don't have your hands physically on the animal once a year. You cannot engage in telemedicine. So our business was very much around providing advice because we couldn't prescribe anything. We couldn't define what we're doing as pure medical care because it wasn't at the end of the day, because it couldn't be in that sort of scenario. Now, if you go into a vet and then they carry out schedules afterwards, but I think a lot of that is changing and especially impactful to the pet industry because a lot of the argument is, well, pets can't talk, and how could you have a vet deliver care? It's like, well, the number one area for telemedicine for humans is pediatric, right? And so a one-year-old can't talk either, but yet somehow the legal system has figured out how to let humans have that conversation, but you can't do that for your dog or cat. So we'll see. I think those laws are changing, but there's still a lot more to come.
0: Mm -hmm. I would say that those are some really good points, especially because I didn't know about the vet client patient relationship rules. And I do know some people who have used the Teledoctor, but it was more for things like uh, sinus infection and getting antibiotics and things like that. Correct. Well, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your work with Metamorphosis Partners, um, the company that you founded. You said you uh, focus a lot on innovation for the consumer in the pet industry. What are some of the biggest things that excite you right now? Or what are some of the challenges that you guys are working on?
1: What we're, <laughs> we're diving into, and obviously is you know, through a lot of experience, some successes and some not so much in the pet world. But the real dynamic of what we're trying to do is how do we create a highly involved data and education and content platform? And through that platform, how can we help direct consumers to the right products and services that are most advantageous for them one of the big issues that i've always had around the pet industry is that the pet industry is pretty terrible about personalization and what i mean by personalization is i have a eight-year-old retriever named boulder i live in san diego and that's great and i have a certain set of things that i need for him the pet industry typically highest level talks to me as a pet owner and then they talk to me as a dog owner, and then they kind of say, "Well, who, oh, Brock's a dog owner, so let's market to him as a dog owner." But the fact of the matter is that you could take fifty dog owners or take five dog owners and line them up next to one another, and their dog owning relationships are very different. Mm-hmm. Right? It might be even large size socks. So I have a border collie and I think that that's the thing that I really want to be doing. And so my activity with my border collie is I go jogging every day with But what food they need, what products they need, what supplements are best for them are very different than the same thing for my dog. Much less if you go obviously much further on that spectrum, if somebody's got a one-year-old Chihuahua, right? Or a 12-year-old Mastiff or a three-year-old bulldog, those are all dogs, but they're very, very different dog-owning experiences. And the pet industry has not been particularly good, in my opinion, on being able to talk to the individual about their pet.
0: Mm-hmm. Or what kind of extracurricular things they do? Are they hiking with their dog? Or is it a show dog? Those type of things?
1: Very active, not very active. Are you a person who feeds product out of the bag and doesn't give anything else? Are you a person who is very active about, quote unquote, dropping things off the counter? <laughs> your animal, right? Is
0: your dog also a vacuum? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know,
1: but, but those things make pet owning very different. And so behind what we're doing is we're creating that platform. We want to kind of build another engagement area for that with a lot of education at, at the forefront and personalization and a few different areas that we're going into. But one key area that we're going into with a brand that we haven't totally launched yet, but it's called the Anxious Pet. And that is focused on the customer confusion about the supplements, treats, and you know what fast growing CBD for pets world is. And what we want to do is help consumers navigate that by doing and giving your animal the right supplements and the right situation in the right time and the right sort of life stage. You can really help and improve the health of your animal and thus hopefully over time have a greater impact on their quality of life and hopefully the length with which you get to love and enjoy your furry friend in your household. And so that's a big business part that we're kind of getting behind where we're building some unique products and some unique formulations and all with that kind of personalized kind of top end of it to make that a category that right now is very confusing to the consumer and make it far more understandable and valuable.
0: Absolutely. And it sounds like serving as trusted advisor as well, because you can look up a lot of content online, but you have to look at the source when you're um, investigating new products, right? For your pet. Very much so. Absolutely you're a big football fan, obviously, founder of Fathead. So what's your favorite football team?
1: My favorite football team is the Green Bay Packers. So, and I got kind of caught into them because my brother-in-law was born and raised in Wisconsin and raised in Wisconsin. You're a super passionate fan.
0: The most, arguably, right?
1: Kind of through that, like you do enough holidays around a super passionate fan like that and you get pulled into it. My biggest team that I support though is uh, the New York Rangers. I'm a big hockey fan and Unfortunately, they're not particularly good this year. So we'll see how that goes.
0: Well, you just got to stick it out with them, I guess, right? Maybe next year. (laughs) You bet. Well, Brock, it was a pleasure to have you on the show today. And I hope to chat with you again in the future. Sounds perfect. Thanks. And one last note, this is for our listeners who represent a retailer or a brand. If you would like to join a small panel of executives at our upcoming Rethink Retail Dinner in New York City this January, that's at the same time as NRF's big show, please reach out to me at julia at rethink.industries for more information or to be considered. I encourage you to apply and note that spots are limited. You've been listening to Rethink Retail. For all the latest news on commerce and trends, join the discussion, rethink.industries.com.